This is Sarah Reinhardt, and you're listening to The Catholic Foodie with Jeff Young and, if you're lucky, his wife Char. Well, unfortunately, folks, you are not lucky today. <laughs> you just have me. It's just me. That's it. Um, Char is busy. She is right now uh, taking care of our house. And, you know, that's an important thing, important thing. And if you listen to episode 65, you know that we have been very, very busy the last couple of weeks. And uh, when you're not at home to take care of the house, you know, things kind of fall apart. So she just could not uh, take the time to be with us today. She wants to get everything set up before next week. Anyway, today on the show, we're talking about Holy Week and praying with the church. So stay tuned here, the Catholic foodie, where food meets faith. That's right. We are going to talk about Holy Week and praying with the church. And this is a very appropriate topic because, you know, today is uh, Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, also sometimes referred to as Passion Sunday because we read the gospel. The gospel is actually the entire Passion uh, story. And today, uh, this year, has come. it came from uh, the Gospel of Luke. So it was a long reading, but it's it's, oh my goodness, it's like the heart and soul of our faith, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so it was It was a joy, although it's also kind of sorrowful because it is the passion. It was a, it was a joy to, um, to go through the passion today in, uh, during Mass. Uh, so we're going to talk about that today. We have, uh, matter of fact, Mary in the Kitchen, our segment there with Sarah Reinhardt, Mary in the Kitchen, is going to be about uh, Holy Thursday. So we enter into Holy Week today. And uh, Lent ends on Wednesday, and Thursday begins the Holy Triduum, the three holy days, the three holiest days of the year, where we celebrate um, Holy Thursday, the institution of the Eucharist. Uh, on Good Friday, the, the, we commemorate the death of Jesus on the cross. Holy Saturday, you know, Holy Saturday, we say in the Creed that he went down into hell he went down into hell. He went down into um, the place of waiting. Sometimes I think in the past we have referred to it as limbo. Uh, some people referred, uh, believe that it had to do with like uh, purgatory. It was a place where the just, the place, a place where the just who lived before the coming of Christ were, and that Jesus went there and kind of preached the gospel to them, and then uh, and then opened the doors to heaven, so they were able to go and enter into heaven. So we have uh, institution of the Eucharist, the commemoration of the passion and the death of Jesus on Good Friday, Jesus in the tomb on Saturday, Holy Saturday, which culminates, which ends with a, a vigil mass, oftentimes a midnight mass, celebrating the resurrection. So this is, this is a holy, holy week. This is a holy, it is, it's holy week, we call it that, right? It is a holy, holy week. And uh, I am very happy this year to be entering into Holy Week. It's going to be a good, good time. Um, this Lent has been wonderful for me. It, this has been a Lent unparalleled. Uh, there's just just so much good stuff that has happened this, this Lent. Uh, the things in my heart. Uh, I think I mentioned this last episode. God has been working with me. Um, in a very powerful way. I'm just, I'm very excited about that. I thank him so much for what he is doing in my life and in my, in my heart. And all of it has been tied together in, uh, in this season of 
Lent. And there's so much that I would love to share with you, but I think that at this point in time, it's probably more prudent for me to kind of keep some of this stuff to myself. This is These are things that God is working in, in my heart and uh, hopefully something that I can share with you um, as, as time goes on. Uh, I would also like to say that uh, the Catholic Foodie has some uh, blog posts that are up on different websites. First, we have uh, Just Another Day of Catholic Pondering, which is Sarah Reinhardt's blog. If you go over to snoringscholar.com, I posted a, uh, a blog post on St. Joseph last week and one on Mary and the Annunciation, which was just this past uh, Friday. That's right, right, Friday? Yeah. It was on Friday, so the Feast of the Annunciation, I put a, a post up over there as well, talking about Mary's yes, right? Mary's yes to the invitation of God to be the mother of God, the mother of the Messiah. Also, I believe tomorrow you will find an article over at iBloom.com, which is I-I-B-L-O-O-M.com. It's a, um, uh, a website that uh, really kind of um, uh, focuses or presents uh, material really for young people. And young people could be anyone from, you know, 17, 18 to um, 40. <laughs> and someone can someone would say, oh, it'll go to 50 or 60 too. So uh, good stuff. There's lots of good stuff over there. You ought to check out iBloom.com. And uh, there'll be an article up tomorrow uh, by the Catholic Foodie on... Holy Thursday, believe it or not. That's right, Holy Thursday. And our celebration of Holy Thursday last year, which I will talk to you about later in the show. But before we get into anything else, I think it's time for some feedback. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Uh, we did get a, uh, an email last uh, this past week from Kate Daniluk, and uh, you may remember Kate. She has sent some feedback in uh, before. Uh, a number of times before, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, we also had her on the show a while back uh, featuring uh, the, the the good stuff that she's involved in, uh, the things that she does, along with her family uh, over at makingmusicprayingtwice.com, makingmusicprayingtwice.com. And uh, she, you know, last episode, 65, uh, we talked about Paul's bread. It was Daniel, I believe, who called in and said that he was uh, making some Paul's bread. It was banana bread. That um, Barb in Nebraska sent that recipe to me a number of months ago, and um, uh, Daniel had discovered it, and he was making some. And Kate heard that, and she says, you know what? I've got three ripe bananas. I am making this recipe. So <laughs> thank you for letting me know that, uh, Kate, and I hope that it turned out well. I love banana bread. Matter of fact, I have some bananas in the kitchen right now. Unfortunately, they're still green, so I'm I'm waiting for them to... Uh, to turn yellow. But the problem with that, though, when we have bananas in a house, is they never quite make it to the stage where, you know, they're they're ready to be used in banana bread. Because they've got to be, like, overripe, kind of like on the way out the window, on the way out their door, uh, uh, before we use them in banana bread. So um, when they're yellow, when they're good, when they're ripe, we tend to just 
eat them up. So <laughs> we need to buy some just for banana bread and put them on the side. So that's something I'm going to have to think about this week. I love banana bread. Uh, also, last episode, uh, um, Anne in the UK had sent some feedback in, and I only played part of it because of uh, trying to conserve or, or, or save some time. And I want to play the second half of that feedback for you right now. Uh, and the other bit of uh, feedback I had relating to food was a stargazy pie. It's basically a fish chowder with um, a puff pastry top. Uh, I do have pictures of it somewhere uh, on my phone, but I need to send them over to you. But it just it was really cute because it had a little crayfish coming out of the top to let the steam out of the pastry. And the pastry was really crispy, and oh, it was just superb. As you can tell, I do like fish. Anyway, um, three minutes, 45 seconds is enough time for feedback, but I just thought I'd take the opportunity too, so it'll make it a little bit longer, to say Happy Easter. Uh, I keep nearly called you Captain Jeff again. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Foodie Jeff. Or should we call you Chef Jeff? Chef Jeff? Like Jeff, Chef Ramsey. Uh, then at least we can de- differentiate our Jeffs. Anyway, love you loads. Love to share the kids and happy Easter because I probably won't leave any feedback now until after Easter. And uh, when are you going to get the lovely sister Julia on? I'm still waiting excitedly for that event because uh, that would be just so great. That would make my day so, 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 so great. To have two of my favorite people from New Orleans. Um, actually, I have three people who are my favorite New Orleans people. Um, one of them is Sister Julia's colleague, Sister Anne, who is in, she's the daughter of St. Paul in Boston, but I think her origins are in New Orleans, I think. Anyway, uh, feel free to cut this down at leisure, but I'm now signing off. Kept it, uh, I've done it again. Chef Jess, and love to all. Oh, hello, Sharp. Bye, Sharp. Speak to you soon, Sharp. Love you. And hello, kids. Love you guys, too, even though I've never heard you guys. Well, actually, I have until the last. Anyway, goodbye, lovely friend. Bye-bye. Oh, Anne is so funny. <laughs> and, you know, you had that idea of having Sister Julia on the show, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I would love to have her on the show. Uh, I have spoken with her, but, you know, one of the, one of the issues there is just um, – scheduling it's just time it's a time issue so uh please know that we have talked about it it is on the agenda it's just not uh we have no date for it yet so uh we will have her on the show uh sometime soon along those lines i do want to mention you know uh last weekend and uh last monday so sunday and monday of this past week we had the uh the pleasure of meeting and speaking with immaculate immaculate illy illy Ilibagisa, I believe is her last name, and a wonderful, wonderful woman, and you've probably heard of her. She's the, uh, the, the, the lady who survived the genocide in Rwanda and uh, was in a bathroom, locked in a bathroom with, I think it was seven other women for 90 days, or I think it was actually 91 days, an unbelievable story. Uh, she said that uh, during that time, she prayed on average about 27 rosaries a day. They ate very little. I think when she got out of the room, she was down to about uh, 65 pounds. 
an unbelievable story. And uh, she she spoke at a conference uh, that we attended last weekend. She spoke on Sunday. And afterwards, uh, we had a chance to uh, meet with her and just speak to her, mainly because of my son. You know, Christopher uh, loves to meet people. He's not afraid of anybody. And he just walked right up to her and introduced himself and started talking. And um, next thing you know, the whole family's over there speaking with her. We were there for probably, I don't know, 15 minutes just talking with her. And uh, he sung, I think I may have said this last episode, He she asked him to sing some songs for her because he's, you know, in, in all these plays and he's been different uh, different characters, and uh, so he he sang a couple of songs for her. She was just tickled at that. Um, anyway, it turns out that Monday she was actually scheduled. I had no idea about this. She was scheduled to come to St. Paul's where I teach and to speak to the student body. And so I got to see her again on uh, Monday. It was really really awesome, really awesome. And I asked her on Monday if uh, we could get her on the show to talk about fasting in particular because we're in Lent and I've it's been kind of a theme the last few episodes, last probably three or four episodes uh, during Lent about, you know, fasting and, and prayer. And knowing what she went through in Rwanda and, and having heard all the great stuff she has said about the power of prayer, uh, I wanted to just talk to her, not so much about her story because you know, the, the, she talks about her story all the time, and uh, I know you can go pretty much anywhere. I could give you links of different places you could go to hear her story, which is very powerful, and I really do recommend that you do hear it. Uh, but I figured here on The Catholic Foodie, since we were talking about fasting, that talking about fasting and prayer, the power of fasting and prayer would be a good thing to have her talk about, to have her uh, converse with me about here on the show. Uh, once again, it's a timing thing. We have not brought that together yet, kind of like, you know, with Sister Julia. But it is on the agenda. We are going to try to get that together, and uh, I will announce ahead of time when we do that interview. So uh, maybe say a prayer that we can get that uh, together and actually make it happen. I would very much appreciate that. Now, you may remember back uh, right around Mardi Gras, just before Mardi Gras, we received some feedback from uh, Raul in, I believe it's San Diego. And Raul was asking about uh, king cakes. And he wanted to, first of all, he was asking if I would make king cakes or make a king cake for him and ship it out to him. And I told him, I, ooh, you know, I had never done that before. I've never shipped one out uh, before. And uh, But you have all these companies that do this. That's what they do. They ship all over the world. And I told him which one I would recommend, which is Randazzo's uh, King Cakes. Uh, it's down in Metairie, Louisiana, which is uh, kind of like a suburb-type thing from New Orleans. And uh, I gave him the contact information. He actually he did order some King Cakes. So I want to play this feedback I just received from him two days ago. I want to play that for you right now. Uh, hello, Mr. Young. This is Raul. Lozada calling from California. Um, I had sent you that email um, uh, about getting the king cake, and um, I I did get the uh, the the URL to the uh, Rizzo's pizza. Uh, well, the the one place that you had recommended, and I did order two king cakes. Uh, one for the Saints Super Bowl and. Another for my class, and uh, the other uh, one for the class was it, went, it was really good activity and it worked out well. And um, but I haven't gotten back to you yet because after the Saints won the Super Bowl, <laughs> uh, 
I had to start focusing on my thesis, my project thesis. I'm a master's, a master's student um, in instructional technology. And the whole two weeks before the Super Bowl, um, I wasn't getting any much work done. I was so focused on on uh, the Saints being in the Super Bowl, and uh, I couldn't really get anything done. So, but once they won, and you know, we it was it was a shock at first. I didn't really it didn't hit me until the next day. But um, that same day, the next day, Monday, I started. Uh, fervently working on my thesis, and I've been working on it since. I'm still have a lot of work to do, um, but I just wanted to get back with you and uh, let you know that uh, I haven't forgot about you, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. After uh, m- much of my my work is done for this thesis, and the thesis is going to be on um, integrating technology um, with my catechetical class. Um, no, not class, my categorical um, sessions that I have with uh, the candidates for confirmation. They're high school students, so I'm looking at designing a uh, learning management system that will cater to, um, will, will serve as a uh, an extension of our, our um, face-to-face meetings, and this includes some blended learning into the, the mix. And so there's a lot of reading I've been doing, a lot of research, and I've really um, just decided now to um, take this opportunity to to um, make contact with you and uh, let you know that I'm still here. And thank you for the the reference for the um, the king cakes. And I think I will be using them next year as well for the same type of activity. But uh, other than that, uh, I'll try to keep in touch somehow, and God bless. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much, Raul. That's uh, I love hearing that. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you enjoyed the king cakes. Uh, and I'm <laughs> I was tickled to know that you 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 were uh, so overwhelmed by the excitement of the Saints going to the Super Bowl, and then of course winning the Super Bowl. That uh, that you couldn't work. That <laughs> sounds like us down here. We, I mean, th- th- everything pretty much shut down for a week or, or, or so because of the Saints winning the Super Bowl. And I mean, it did it help that it was also Mardi Gras time? Uh, things tend to to uh, die down around here anyway, kind of shut down anyway. But goodness, it was an extended period down here, about two weeks actually, when things just um, uh, just shut down. Um, literally, there were businesses that closed down. I mean, it was extremely difficult to get anything done at school, uh, nearly impossible. The, the, the students were riled up, excited about the, the upcoming Saints game. And then, of course, we were, I mean, the teachers were too. It's just um, just a crazy, uh, crazy time. Anyway, it's, it's so funny to know that you're out in California and you're experiencing the same thing. That was awesome. Um, and very good, very good, by the way, on your uh, your thesis. Uh, that's an important thing, and I will keep you in prayer as well as you work on that. Um, and, and to use things that are cultural in order to spread the faith, that is very encouraging to me. It's something that I have kind of um, uh, promoted, that I have advocated uh, over and over and over again. And to know that you you ordered king cakes, or one of them in particular, to, to share with your confirmation candidates uh that 
that is, uh, to me, that's awesome. I mean, that's just something that really kind of speaks to me because you're taking something very concrete, very uh, incarnate, if you will, something that, that, that deals with not just uh, a soul, right, but also with the body and using it as a teaching moment to uh, to evangelize and to catechize. So excellent, excellent work. Uh, please do keep in touch, and I look forward to hearing from you again. I need two salmon, three salad compasses, and a free fillet. Fire it, two of that. Seared salmon. Free fillet, working. I need plates. Well, here we are. We're going into the kitchen. I'm very excited about uh, our new segment here, Mary in the Kitchen. Uh, Mary is, uh, you know, Mama Mary. She's uh, our mother. She's the queen of heaven and earth, queen of apostles. And she she is right here with us. Uh, matter of fact, in reading some of the, the, uh, the writings of St. Louis de Montfort, which you heard last episode, along with a number of people, my wife included, and also Sarah Reinhardt, and a number of readers of uh, Just Another Day of Catholic Pondering, I am going through the 33-day preparation process for total consecration. And reading some of the uh, works of St. Louis de Montfort, he, he said very clearly that uh, where the Holy Spirit finds Mary in the soul uh, of a person, he swoops down there. He cannot be separated from his spouse and Mary is known as the spouse of the Holy Spirit. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her that Jesus was uh, was conceived. And so when Mary is present in the life of an individual, um, the Holy Spirit cannot stay away. The Holy Spirit is there. And, of course, the two of them work together in order to bring Christ to birth in that person's life. So I certainly want Mary in my life. And, uh, and part of that here at the Catholic Foodie is this new segment. Thank you so much, Sarah Reinhardt, uh, for, of, of uh, Mary in the Kitchen. Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And, and this is, is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> One of my favorite liturgies of the year is the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. I first went as a fairly new Catholic, three years into the adventure and in my first year as a parish secretary. When my nieces asked me if I would take them up to get their feet washed, I hesitated for about two seconds and then said yes. I don't think I would have gone up if it hadn't been for them. I don't remember how many times I've been to the Holy Thursday Mass, but it's been only a handful of times three or four maybe, in the nine years since I've been Catholic. Each time, I come away immensely moved, changed a bit more. What is it about the simple act of having my right foot washed that impacts me so much? Every time I've gone, I've had my foot washed. In our small parish, there's no formal listing of people who will represent the Twelve Apostles. They did try that one year, but it wasn't a year I attended the Mass. Last year, when my then four-year-old and I went to the front, I found myself moved 
before I even sat down. Father was on his knees, with our deacon assisting to his right, and he was so gentle. When it was my turn, I wondered if there were tears in Father's eyes, or if I was projecting through the haze in my own. I didn't want to cry. There was a short line of people, and the rest of the congregation was looking on. It's one thing to cry during communion, and I do that on a regular basis, but no one's really paying attention. To find myself so moved during this foot-washing ceremony was as humbling as having Father wash my foot, maybe more so. Humility is not my strong suit, but it's one I'm learning to wear. There's a beauty in having your priest wash your foot. Though our feet aren't nearly as disgusting as they must have been back in Jesus' time, mine are still not the body part I'd offer forward if I was choosing. I mean, come on, they're in my shoes all day, sweating and soaking and, well, being feet. After Father poured the warm water over my foot and dried it with a towel... He kissed it. This time, it was no different than the other two times I've participated. After kissing it, he said something meaningful to me, and off I went. Changed, renewed, inspired. How could I not be? Though there are many times my priest acts in the person of Christ, in Persona Christi, at confession, during Mass, it is while he is kissing my foot that I first got a humbling taste of the kind of love Jesus has for me. It gives me a glimpse of this man who is Mary's son. It gives me a little look into how home life must have been. It lets me see tenderness where so often I fear for harsh judgment. How often did Mary's yes include the small acts of service Jesus did for her? How many times might he have washed her feet? On the other hand, she probably washed his feet too. I picture him as a little boy, grimy and muddy and indescribably happy, coming in for dinner. Maybe she knelt down outside the kitchen door and washed him up for dinner. And then, after she probably just snuck a little kiss in on his feet, I have no doubt she kissed him on the top of his sweaty head and savored the moment with him. She does that for us too, you know. She shows us the beauty of service and the lovely humility of letting her son kneel down in front of us and hold our stinky feet in his hand. He had a part in creating those stinky feet. For him, the fragrance speaks of the walking we did to come to him. Our hesitation speaks of our great respect for him. The tears in our eyes speak to him of the change that comes over us, bit by bit, the closer we allow ourselves to get to him. As we approach the great feast of our liturgical year, I pray that Mary guides you on that journey to her son 
in the most humbling ways, so that you too may experience the joy of his up-close and personal Again, I thank you so much, Sarah, for producing Mary in the Kitchen. It is a, a delight to have you on the show, and it is such a, a fantastic addition to the Catholic foodie. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that Sarah talked about that I, I found uh, particularly uh, touching to me uh, was the aspect of me, you know, having your feet washed. And she talks about, you know, your feet, my feet are like in my shoes all day and they're taking a beating and they're all sweaty and all that, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the lower part of ourselves, you know, it's the, um, uh, good. it take, it does. You I mean your feet take a beating, um, it, it, they, they're like the lowly, the lowliest, uh, parts of the body. Um, and that that's important. You know, I mentioned St. Louis de Montfort earlier, and when Sarah was talking about that, the one thing I thought of was something I read recently, which, uh, by, you know, just the last few days by St. Louis de Montfort, talking about Genesis chapter 3, the great fall, right? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, we have an original sin, original sin. They ate of the apple, they disobeyed God, and uh, Eve blamed it on the serpent. Well, actually, Adam blamed it on Eve, Eve blamed it on the serpent. And it's interesting because, you know, God uh, says to each one what the, um, uh, what the consequences are of their sin. So they had, you know, Adam and Eve have certain consequences. Then he talks to the serpent and basically curses the serpent. But he says, in effect, he says this, that he's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between his offspring, the serpent, and her offspring, and that he, the serpent, will strike at her heel, and her heel will crush his head. Now, some translations say that his heel will crush the serpent's head. Uh, but if you look back at the original, uh, the original Latin, well, the original Latin text was not Latin. <laughs> the original text was written in, uh, in Hebrew. Uh, but if you look back, uh, even at the Greek version, okay, uh, in the Latin, the way it was translated was not his heel. It was translated as her heel. And the, the old uh, Douay Reims version, English version of the Bible, which was the English translation of the, uh, of the Vulgate, right, the Latin text, uh, that it carries over that translation of her heel will crush your head. So it's, it's Mary who will have the victory. Of course, it's Jesus who is victorious, but Mary in Jesus is the one who crushes the head. Anyway, what St. Louis de Montfort says is that we, those, those people who are consecrated to Mary, who are Mary's children, we are that heel. We are that heel. So it's the lowly part of the body, but God raises up the lowly right and he casts down the peril, the powerful you can you can see that in the magnificat the magnificat uh that that mary the song that mary of praise that mary uttered at the visitation when saint uh, when elizabeth says 
you know, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then Mary just uh, utters this 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 beautiful song of praise to God. So, anyway, the whole point is the lowly. God uses the lowly to humble the uh, the, the, the 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 powerful, right? The intelligent, all the the wonderful, uh, proud. I guess you'd say the proud. And ultimately, that's what's going to happen with Satan. It is not so much um, God is not directly crushing the head of Satan. He's using a very lowly instrument, uh, a human being, Mary. And Mary is using her heel, which is actually us, (laughs) the lowliest part. So really cool, really cool. Anyway, thank you so much, Sarah. There's so much more that I could say about this. If you want to know more about what Sarah has to think about life and and, and Catholicism and faith and prayer and Mary, especially now that we're doing this 33-day preparation for total consecration of Mary, you need to go over to snoringscholar.com. That is her blog, which is called uh, Just Another Day of Catholic Pondering. When you come to my house and I cook for you... Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, that might be a problem. What's the problem? I had the best cook in the family, tell you. Oh, I did, didn't I? Twice. Okay, then. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, yeah. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He don't eat no meat? No, he doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I make lamb. Ooh, speaking of lamb, you know, Holy Thursday is coming up. That's the day that we celebrate the institution of uh, of the Eucharist. It's also the day where we we uh, we celebrate and commemorate the great mandate from Jesus, right, to love one another as I have loved you. And we have in the liturgical celebration of the Lord's Supper, usually in the evenings, uh, seven o'clock ish. Uh, we we have the the great um, the rite r i t e rite of the washing of the feet, where the the pastor the celebrant will wash the feet of uh, members of the parish. And once again, as a as a commemoration of Jesus washing the feet of the apostles um, at at the Last Supper. And remember, now the Last Supper comes from the Passover. Right? Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his apostles and disciples. And the Passover, if you remember, going all the way back to the Exodus and the Passover, God tells Moses how to celebrate the Passover. It is not something that Moses makes up. It is not something that a bunch of priests make up. It's none of that. It is God himself who tells Moses, this is how you are to celebrate the Passover. In the original Passover, God is actually sending the angel of death over Egypt. And he says, this is how you are to be saved. And tell the people, this is how they are to be saved. You need to take a, a an unblemished lamb. It's got to be sacrificed, right? Animal sacrifice. It's got to be sacrificed. Take the blood of the lamb. And by the way, none of the bones could be broken. None of the bones could be broken. So take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it on the, the lintel and doorposts of your home. And everyone who was in there had to celebrate. And there was a certain, uh, certain things that they did, right? Like unleavened bread, 
they had to eat standing up. They had to uh, roast the lamb, and they had to eat all of it. They had to eat. There's nothing left, right? There could be nothing left except for the bones. And the bones they had, I think, I can't remember if they had to bury the bones. That's one detail I'm forgetting right now. But anyway, um, so you have that uh, that original celebration. Then you have Jesus celebrating the Last Supper, which is interesting because in the Synoptic Gospels, the Last Supper is on Passover, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the 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 Last Supper being Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with his apostles. But in John's gospel, it, it's just interesting how this all kind of fits together. Um, Passover is actually the crucifixion. So it, it it's different days, right? Um, and John is a theological gospel. John is trying to communicate a lot more to us than simply details, like like um, uh, practical scientific details about what Jesus said and did and taught. Right? He's trying to communicate to us the bigger picture. So John um, it, it takes a little more liberty, perhaps, with some of the things that uh, Jesus didn't said and did. Not in the sense that he added to it. Not in the sense that he changed things. But, for instance, in the sense that he may have taken uh, a bunch of different teachings that Jesus gave over a period of time, but he gives it to us in one lump. Right? It's still 100% true. It's still 100% what Jesus said. But he's given it to us in one lump because... This gospel is just a tool. It's media, right? It is the medium through which John is trying to communicate Jesus, the story of Jesus, who Jesus is, and what Jesus did and said. And so in that respect, he may have had to combine some things together, you know, kind of collapse time frames, for instance. And that's okay. It doesn't make the gospel any less true. It is still 100% true. And to kind of compare that, you can see that uh, you take something like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? It was a huge, huge work by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, when they when they make it into a movie, guess what? They've actually got to uh, collapse time frames. They, they've got to make a couple of adjustments here and there about the way they present what Tolkien wrote. Okay, so they're presenting it as, as true, but they have to make some adjustments on how they present it. In the same way, John may have had to take some liberties uh, in, in the way he presented the truth of what Jesus said and did. So that's a little, just a little bit of comment, I guess a, a small comment there on the, uh, the, on the Gospels. Uh, but the whole point is the Last Supper, Passover. And Jesus, of course, at the Last Supper, he is the Lamb of God. And we see that on the cross, right? He is the Lamb of God, the, the unblemished, the spotless Lamb who was sacrificed for salvation, sacrificed for the sins of the world, to take away the sins of the world. And so you see at the Last Supper, they're eating lamb. You see they're eating unleavened bread. Jesus institutes the Eucharist. And one of the things that we've seen in recent times, because the Jews still celebrate Passover, and they have what's called a Seder meal. And one of the things that's become popular among Christians uh, recently, I'd say the last uh, maybe several years, last decade or two, is a celebration of a Seder meal, like a Christianized Seder meal, basically. They follow the same pattern, the same flow, the same, I guess, rubrics of a Seder meal, but they do so in a, in a modified way. 
since we know that the Savior has come, the Messiah has come, we are doing so in a modified way. But you're kind of following the story. It's really following the history of salvation, salvation history up to us today and applying it to our own lives. And last year, Char and I decided to do, we've done Seder meals before like that with our children, but last year we decided to do it a little bit differently, and I wanted to share that with you because it, it, was, a, 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 um, it was wonderful. It was really, really a, a great way of celebrating, for us, a way of celebrating um, um, Passover, Holy Thursday. And what we did is, you know, I got off work uh, probably 3, 3.30-ish that day, and so we had to hurry up and make preparations because we wanted to do everything before, well, so that we would have enough time to get to the 7 o'clock service, the 7 o'clock Mass at our parish, uh, the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. Uh, so we, we had, uh, let's see, what did we do? We ha- I had marinated some lamb. We had lamb chops last year, marinated some lamb. Uh, we made a salad with uh, romaine, and I believe we also had arugula, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we had cream spinach, which is, I always love cream spinach. You can't go wrong. It's awesome stuff. We had pita. And we, I think we had hummus as well. Uh, wine, we had some red wine. And we kind of followed loosely the, the, the Seder meal. I say loosely because we started out our meal. We, first of all, we went to the table. We got to the table dressed in our Sunday's best. We never do that. <laughs> Even on Sunday, we rarely dress up like that. Um, you know, Christmas and Easter and all that. But it's just, it seems to us just so, so difficult to get all dressed up and all, you know, take the time and the effort to do all that on Sunday with the kids. And John and I aren't always the most organized people in the world. And so it's just kind of hard to do. So what we did that evening, we got dressed up to the, to the, to the nines and went to the table. I had, before getting dressed up, I had put the, um, uh, the lamb on the grill outside. And it doesn't take long. Matter of fact, you know what? I, I dressed first because the lamb only takes maybe three, four minutes on each side. I had the grill turned up pretty high. Three, and you're searing it, really. Uh, three or four minutes on each side. It depends on how thick the lamb chops are. And these were about the, the size, so three or four minutes were, were, were plenty, right? It's plenty of time. And um, Char, while I was doing that, Char had uh, uh, served all the plates. All the plates were on the table. The wine was poured. Um, I came in and with a lamb and uh, took my apron off, went and sat down at the table, and we started with a prayer. And we prayed from the heart. And then I took out the book of Exodus. I took out my Bible, turned to the book of Exodus, and read the story of the Passover. And we, we finished that up. I served the, the lamb, put the lamb on the plates. And we had a really nice conversation just about uh, the Passover and, and, and the Exodus and Jesus and the Last Supper and the sacrifice on the cross and salvation and what all this stuff means for us today. It was a wonderful meal. It was incredible. And our kids were so well behaved. See, that's the thing. We kept asking ourselves afterwards, why were they so good? <laughs> Mealtime for us usually is just chaotic. You know, one child can't sit down. You know, she's all over the place running around. She, you tell her to sit down and she's that, you know, sits down for four or five seconds and she's up and she's running around the table or doing whatever. It's like, sit down, sit down, sit down. You know, I got one kid who won't stop talking about 
video games and movies and or just won't quit talking at all. You know, you can't, nobody else can say anything because it's constant conversation. The other kid over there is complaining because, you know, they're, they're missing this, that, or the other, or they would want something this way or that way. That's our usual meal. And Char and I are just exasperated trying to enjoy good food and enjoy our family and find it difficult to do. So, but that day, we had none of that. Everybody sat down. They were nice and respectful and well-behaved, and they listened, and they shared, and they talked in a normal voice. <laughs> and I was just like, "What? Where, where are my kids? <laughs> Who are these? Who are these imposters? Who put these, these kids here? Um, but it really was. It, was. it was a great, great meal. And we thought later, maybe it was the whole fact that we dressed up the way that, that we did. Maybe that's why they were so good, because it was unusual. It was something different, something new. Or maybe it was just God's grace or a combination of the two. Anyway, whatever it is, we're doing it again this year. <laughs> Jar already got the lamb. It's uh, We actually froze it because we got it this past week. It was on sale. And uh, we're going to thaw that out and get everything ready the same way we did last year, eating on our china, matter of fact, uh, eating our china on our china and, and using our crystal for the wine and uh, just kind of do a repeat. We rushed out of the meal, rushed out of the house, kind of like the Jews did, right? Uh, uh, At the Exodus, the Passover, God told them, he says, look, eat standing up with your loins girt. And we didn't stand up, but we were dressed and ready. And as soon as we finished eating, man, we had to run out the door and get in the van and run over to church to be in time for, to get a seat for the seven o'clock mass. And uh, so we left all the dishes on the table. We left everything just like the, 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 the Jews did when they left. Man, God said, it's, it's time, go, and they went. Uh, so we did kind of the same thing. Anyway, uh, we're going to do the same kind of celebration this year. And that's why I'm so happy that Sarah, her reflection today, uh, this week, was on Holy Week and, and, and Holy Thursday in particular. Uh, what a wonderful, uh, wonderful lead-in, I guess, for us as we enter Holy Week and get ready to celebrate Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then Easter Sunday all over again this year, the holiest time of the year for us. Amen. And then on on, on uh, Saturday night, after the vigil of Easter, the Easter vigil, we get to say that A word again in the liturgy. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and until then, we just got to satisfy ourselves with you know, uh, amen, and, uh, you know, praise the Lord, and thanks thanks be to God, and glory to you. But, boy, come come Saturday and Sunday, whoo, watch out. We're going to throw that A word around all over the place. And, of course, you have to know what I'm talking about. It's that word, hallelujah. And hallelujah, uh, by the way, is something that we don't say liturgically during Lent. Now, you can say it outside of the liturgy, whether it's the liturgy of the hours or uh, any other kind of uh, liturgical rite, including Mass. Uh, you can say it outside of that, but in the liturgy, we don't say Alleluia. But we're going to get into it, right? We're going to get into it on uh, Easter Vigil and Easter Day. So, Alleluia. <laughs> I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of the can, then nothing. Not even the pie? 
No, just the pie, but then not heat it. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Well, speaking of having what she's having, I have a book here. It's called uh, St. Augustine Answers 101 Questions on Prayer. And since we were just talking about the liturgy, I thought this would be a good time to bring this book up. It's written by Father Cliff Ermentinger. I don't know how to pronounce that. Ermentinger. Uh, E-R-M-A-T-I-N-G-E-R. Father Cliff, I'll call him. Uh, this is uh, published by Sophia Institute Press. Sophia Institute Press is also available from the Catholic Company at catholiccompany.com. And I wanted to talk about this book because, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm reviewing it for, uh, for the Catholic Company. Uh, but I wanted to point it out because it talks, about, it talks about prayer. Believe it or not, St. Augustine answers 101 questions on prayer. And I love St. Augustine. St. Augustine, his life, uh, his conversion, the fact that his mother prayed him into the faith. He, she, she prayed for 30 years, I believe it was, uh, for his conversion. Not only was he converted from uh, a heretic, from a, a pagan, uh, he became a bishop. And not only that, but a doctor of the church, and he wrote so many things that, uh, that give us a, a real depth, a real depth uh, of understanding of, um, of the faith and of God and of our relationship with God. Uh, he wrote one of his, uh, two of his great, great works. First of all is, uh, one of them is uh, City of God, uh, where he's talking about Christendom and what the, what the Christian faith is and uh, versus the, the kingdom of darkness, right? The, the city of God, city of God. Uh, and the other one is called the Confessions, which, by the way, he's also been called like the greatest uh, psycho- uh, psychologist because it's, it's a very psychological kind of self-knowledge, kind of a, a, a delving into your own life, your own heart, your own mind kind of a work. And it's, it's really his confessions of, of, uh, of his life. He's writing his life story and how he became not only a Christian, but also a priest and a bishop. So he has a lot to say to us as a doctor of the church on things like prayer. And uh, this book I picked up and, and I thought, I'm going to love this. It's going to be a great book. Uh, and I think that this book is is really good and would be really good for a lot of people who are hungering to know more about prayer. Um, you know, I've read a lot of books on prayer in my life, a lot of books on prayer in my life. Uh, <laughs> I started reading books on prayer when I was 16 years old, and it seems like for years and years and years, that's all I read, right? The spiritual reading, all the all the reading I wanted to do was on prayer, and so I thought this book would be great for me. I need to read this book. And I've, even though it is a fantastic book, I found that it really, it really did not speak to me the way I thought it would. That does not mean it's not a good book. I think, I think it's an excellent book. Um, and and the, the good thing about it is it's compiled by Father Cliff, right? St. Augustine never wrote a book on prayer. He wrote about prayer and all the different things he wrote. But he wrote so many things, it's unbelievable how much he wrote. So if you wanted to learn more about what St. Augustine had to say on prayer, you'd have to go look all over the place. And that would take a lot of time. It'd be a lot of work. Not that it wouldn't be fruitful. But what Father Cliff has done is he, he's put all this stuff together in one volume, one book on prayer, stuff from St. Augustine. Now, the cool thing about this is this is not Father Cliff's interpretation of St. Augustine. What he does is he goes through and he actually, he asks these questions 
and then he takes all the writings from St. Augustine. And what you're actually reading is, is the work of St. Augustine. You're reading what St. Augustine himself had to say on prayer. Now, I believe that Father Cliff not only um, uh, compiled these segments on prayer, but also translated them. So uh, you do have some of him in here, of course. Uh, and from time to time, he will kind of give a, an explanation of what St. Augustine meant here or there as it related to the culture of the time. But what you're really getting is St. Augustine on prayer. And so I think that uh, if you are um, hungering to know more about prayer, to learn more about prayer, to to find out what exactly – I mean, certain questions. Let me, let me read a couple of questions here about prayer that, that uh, you, might, um, you might have. Let's see, the, the Gideon – well, first of all, he starts with the nature of prayer, which, which would be like, what is prayer? What happens in prayer? And then what about getting started in praying? It says, what do I need to begin to pray? What else will help me along the way in the life of prayer? So prayer is more than words. What if I don't feel drawn to prayer? What should I do or what should I look for when I go into myself? Which you know means when you go into your own heart and soul to pray, to find God. Um, what does it mean to shut the door to your heart? Like Jesus says in the Gospels, go into your inner room, right? Shut the door and pray to your Heavenly Father in secret. So what if you ask the question, hey, what does it mean to shut the door? Um, I sense a longing for something that I cannot explain. Actually, it's more like a void that can't be fill, filled. Is this normal? And of course, St. Augustine is the, the, uh, the doctor of the church who gave us that famous quote. He says you know, that our hearts are restless, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So we can chase after all kind of things in life, but until we finally come to rest in God, we will not find rest. So you have uh, the whole thing about uh, uh, longing for God, seeking God in prayer. You know, what should I look for in God? How should I look for God? Finding God in prayer. You know, if God wants me to find him, why is it so hard sometimes? Why does he seem to play hide and seek with me? Uh, What is the relationship between prayer and conversion? Uh, What's more important, prayer or grace? What about salvation? What's the relationship between prayer and salvation? Uh, effective prayer. How can I guarantee that God will hear my prayer? What does sacrifice have to do with prayer? Uh, the effects of prayer on the soul. What does prayer do to me? What are the effects of prayer on my soul? What about the different types of prayer? You know, we've got contemplation, we've got vocal prayer, we've got praise and adoration and thanksgiving, all these different kinds of prayer. Tell me about that. What are the different types of prayer? Uh, how is the liturgy the source and summit of prayer? That's very interesting. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, what about prayer of praise, thanksgiving, prayer of mercy, prayers of petition? Should I ask for things in prayer? What are some of the things I should ask for? Are there is there anything I should not ask for in prayer? What about those who do not know how to pray or those who do not pray? Right? I mean, he goes, how do I pray? You know, St. Paul says, Pray always. Well, how, how do I do that? How do I pray always? So you get to see all these different questions in here, 101 questions. And you get to hear or read what St. Augustine has to say on these questions. Very, very cool. Now, he talks about uh, prayer and verbal prayer and or vocal prayer and contemplation and, and all this and how great 
vocal prayer is, which, you know, um, is very important. We're, we're human, and so it's, it's necessary to have vocal prayer. And I would, I would say, along with some of the great saints, that we never really progress beyond that. Now, there are different states of prayer, different stages of prayer. You have meditative prayer, and you, or mental prayers, it's often called. You have contemplation. You have all that. But even when you reach the heights of contemplation, you're still going to find that you need vocal prayer. So what about the liturgy, right? Mass and the sacraments, liturgy. Uh, what does he say about that? He has a lot to say about that. And uh, um, oh, well, let me read to you what he says. How is the liturgy the source and summit? That's what he talks about. The call to Sunday Mass had, noth- had a soothing effect on Augustine's sensitive soul. Man, he says, needs to rest. And what better way to rest than to rest in God? And here's a quote from Augustine. Now, the souls of men, both good and evil ones, love rest. But how they might attain what they love is, for the most part, unknown to them. And as bodies seek for their weight, so too do souls seek exactly the same thing for their love, a resting place. Man's soul struggles onward toward what it loves so that it might rest upon reaching it. When the soul finds its delight in God, there she finds true, certain, eternal rest, for which it had vainly sought in other objects. Hence, the counsel found in the Psalms was laid down, find your delight in the Lord, who will give you your heart's desire. That's from Psalm 37. Holiness, says St. Augustine, is linked to the Sabbath. And we know that liturgy, he goes on to talk more about liturgy and and, uh, jubilation and you know, private prayer, our private prayer is inseparable, really, from common prayer, our prayer together. You know, it prepares the soul in a more, or for a more, more efficacious common prayer, especially liturgical prayer, which the Second Vatican Council calls the source and summit of the Christian life. So you can't, you can't live on private prayer alone. You can't live on a communal or liturgical prayer alone. We need both. They, they feed each other. Very important. And so my comment, just to clarify uh, what I said earlier, for me personally, this book didn't say a whole lot. Not that I don't like St. Augustine, not that I don't think it's a good book. I think it's an excellent book, and I think a lot of people would really benefit from this. And if you're hungering to know more about prayer, I highly recommend that you uh, you get this book. You can get it from a Catholic company, the Catholic company at catholiccompany.com. Uh, but for me personally, I feel like, the Lord wants me to pray more than to read books on prayer. And I think that's really the heart of it. Why it didn't speak so much to me is because um, I've read so many books on prayer in my life that I think he's saying, you know what, Jeff? I want you to pray and not so much read about prayer. If you read anything, I want you to read my word because I'm going to feed you and your hungry soul with my word uh, right, which is a very foodie thing to think about, God feeding us with his word both in Scripture and in the Eucharist, uh, and, and not so much reading about prayer. Don't read about me, uh, but read me in the Scriptures. Don't read about me, but uh, 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 come to me and, and uh, be with me. So that's just my take uh, personally, but I love the book. I think it'd be great for a lot of people. Matter of fact, I'm looking for someone right now, perhaps one of the confirmation candidates that I'm working with right now. I'm looking for somebody to give this to. So um, check it out, catholiccompany.com.
Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm -hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day, to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Good question. Why not be good at it? And I need to ask the question, too. Why can't I be good at, uh, at getting this show to be under an hour? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but we're we're approaching that time. It is now time to wrap it up. And I want to say just a few things in closing. First of all, feedback. I need feedback. I need to hear from you. Anything that you think about what we talked about on the show today, maybe, or just another question or comment that you have about the Catholic foodie, about food, faith, family, fun, about your faith, about growing in faith, uh, maybe tell me how your Lent was. I'd love to know how your Lent was. Mine was fantastic. Anything you could share with me about your Lent, I'd love to know it. Um, anything that uh, that you're cooking in the kitchen, maybe what you're planning on doing for Easter. Uh, do you have any special plans with your family? Anything you're going to prepare uh, in a special way uh, for Easter? Or what about Divine Mercy Sunday, which is approaching. It's, it's the, the Sunday following Easter is Divine Mercy Sunday. Do you have anything going on then? Let me know. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. And you can call me and leave a message over at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Or you can email me at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Also, I'd like to say that uh, over at the website at catholicfoodie.com, you're going to find a blog post uh, probably tomorrow that will have all the links that we talked about in the show today. So you have a link to the St. Augustine book. You're going to have a link to uh, whatever else I talked about. <laughs> I don't remember right now. Uh, probably for my recipe for lamb, for the different blog posts and articles I mentioned to you earlier. I'm going to put links in there for all that stuff. Sarah's blog, right? just another day of Catholic pondering over at uh, snoringscholar.com. All of that's going to be in there. And also, I'm going to put a link in there for today's sponsor of the show, sponsor of the Catholic Foodie, which is sqpngear.com, sqpngear.com. They've got all kind of goodies over there. You're going to love it. Go to sqpngear.com and check it out. You've got T-shirts and um, tote bags and coffee mugs and uh, sweatshirts and all kind of good things over there that, uh, that are SQPN-related, the different shows of SQPN affiliated with SQPN, like the Catholic Foodie, uh, lots of other shows that are over there. Go and check that out, uh, catholicgear.com. And while you're there, go ahead and order yourself a coffee cup or a coffee mug or order one for a friend, a family member. Hey, it'd be a good Easter gift. If you give gifts on Easter, it may be a good thing to give. Catholic Foodie t-shirt, Catholic Foodie apron. We have aprons, which uh, I should be wearing my apron right now, but I'll, I'll have to do that uh, when I get back in the kitchen. Uh, also, the CNMC is approaching. It's going to be in August this year. I believe it's August 7th. Um, if you want to know more about that, you can go to celebration.sqpn.com. More info over there. Shaw and I certainly hope to be there this year. We still got to work out uh, those travel arrangements and, and, and whatnot, but we certainly hope to be there and hope to see you there. So, feedback, call me, go check out sqpngear.com, go check out the post over at catholicfoodie.com. And let me know what's going on in your life regarding faith, food, family, fun, whatever you may have to say to the Catholic booty. And until next time, bon appetit.
SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.